back on January 10th, I preached the first message in the sermon series that we've been going through since then called God's Heart for All Nations. And that was actually the last Sunday that we met in person for worship until reopening again today. And guess what? Today is the last sermon in this series on God's Heart for All Nations. So we're kind of coming full circle, um, gathering in person for the first and now for the last message in this series. And in that very first sermon, um, I read the opening pages of this children's book uh, called God's Very Good Idea by Trillia Newbell. And so I thought that I would end this series by returning to this same children's book. Um, we, we talked about this in that first message that, that this book begins by talking about this very good idea that God had which was to make people, and specifically to make lots of different kinds of people who would all be made in his image and who would all be like mirrors, reflecting aspects of who God is. And that was the idea that I focused on in that first sermon from Genesis 1, that, that God intended cultural diversity from the very beginning in humanity and how people in every culture are created in the image of God. But then this book goes on to say that those first people, Adam and Eve, ruined God's very good idea by rebelling against God. And their sin led to a world where we are unable to love one another very well. And part of that is that we often mistreat those who are different from us. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and to pay for our sin and to change our hearts, and to create a new family that we can be a part of, the church. And this family of God that, that Jesus came to, to begin is a group of people, a community that is filled with all kinds of different people, just like God originally intended in his original creation. And last Sunday, uh, Pastor Brandon preached on Acts chapter 11, where we see the first multicultural Christian community in the church in Antioch, where we see both Jews and Gentiles coming together to be a part of the same body with each other. And so we, we see that God's heart for all nations is expressed in this very tangible way as people from many nations and backgrounds are invited into the family of God. And we ourselves get to experience that as well even within our own congregation, as we've talked about throughout this series. But God's very good idea doesn't just stop with the church here on earth. It looks ahead to the future. And so I want to read again from this book, um, God's Very Good Idea. It says, one day God will finish his very good idea. Jesus will come back and make the world perfect again. And anyone who has asked Jesus to forgive them will live there with their different languages and skin colors. Don't you love that? We have a, we have a kid, kid's drawing and Jesus has got a blue face and we got someone with a pink face here, and a, right? All different colors and languages. And it says they will enjoy loving God and loving each other. They will enjoy praising God for making, rescuing, and finishing 
his very good idea. And so that is what we're going to be looking at today. As we finish this series, we're going to be looking at our future. And the way that we're going to look at that, where this is all going, where this all ends, what is the future that God has for us, we're going to be looking at the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We started in Genesis, and we're ending in Revelation, and we see in Revelation this amazing vision of our future in heaven. It's actually the scripture reading that, that Ronnie read in the very first sermon to kind of give us a preview of that. And today we're going to be looking in depth at that image um, in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. So hear God's word to us this morning. After this, I looked, this is John writing in Revelation, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this beautiful vision of where you are bringing us, your people, your church, open our eyes to see the glory of this vision of, of our future and what that means for our lives today as we await this final vision. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to look at three aspects of what this text tells us about our future. Uh, for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. And, and with each aspect of this future vision, I want to also think about how that aspect affects our lives today, our present today as well. So the first aspect of our future is that our future will be a fulfillment of God's promises for all nations. That our future will be a fulfillment of all that we have been looking at and talking about throughout this series. Um, in this passage, God gives John, the author of the book of Revelation, this vision of heaven in the future. And the first description of this vision is found in verse 9, which I'll read again. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And I hope you see that, that this description that we see here is a clear fulfillment of many of the passages that we've looked at throughout this sermon series, a fulfillment of God's promises for all nations. If you remember back to Genesis 12, where, where God gave this promise to Abraham, and he said there in Genesis 12, to Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And here in Revelation, we see that. 
We see a crowd of people from every nation and tribe and people and language. And what are they? They are blessed. They are blessed in the presence of God. They all came through Abraham and his seed, through Jesus Christ, and until we see the fulfillment here in Revelation. In Isaiah 2, we looked at a passage from Isaiah 2, this vision that, that God gave to the prophet Isaiah. And, and, the, and part of that vision was this vision of a mountain, of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem being raised up. And it said in that passage that all nations will stream to it. And here, in this passage in Revelation, we see a multitude from every nation. And where are they? They are standing before God's throne in the heavenly new Jerusalem. And they are worshiping before the Lamb. Jesus, who we talked about, is the new temple. There's no need for a temple in the heavenly Jerusalem because Jesus himself is the temple and we are the temple and, and they're all nations streaming and worshiping our God. We looked at Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. And we talked about the fact that, that Pentecost was the festival of the first fruits. And, and at this festival, people would bring the first fruits of the wheat harvest and they would, and they would bring it to Jerusalem, to the temple, to this festival as a foretaste, a first fruits of the harvest that would come later on in its fulfillment. And what happened on the day of Pentecost? We saw there in Acts 2, verse 5, it said, Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And out of this multinational group, 3,000 people became believers in Jesus and were baptized. And so Pentecost, what happened on that day, was the first fruits of the harvest that we see fulfilled here in Revelation. Right? 3,000 people from every nation, and here we see a multitude that cannot be counted from every nation. The first fruits, and here in Revelation, the fulfillment. So what implications does this aspect have for our lives today? Well, the implication for today of this, this point is that as we follow God's call to make disciples of all nations, which we talked about from Matthew 28, we can have confidence that God will fulfill this mission through us. See, here in Revelation, we see that the mission that Jesus gave to his disciples and that he gives to us, guess what? It's going to happen. It will be fulfilled. When he said, go and make disciples, we know because of Revelation that there will be disciples from every nation who will worship God in the new Jerusalem. We know that God's mission ultimately succeeds. In heaven, there will be a multitude from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. And so the great commission will be fulfilled. And that should fill us with great hope and great encouragement as we are a part of this mission of bringing the gospel to all nations. We enter that mission not with fear or worry if this will actually happen, because in Revelation we see that it will. And so we move into that mission with confidence in knowing that God will accomplish that mission. So as, as missionaries that we send out um, here are, is, is, are a couple of missionaries, Lutheran Brethren missionaries, Nathaniel and Carrie Zabodi. And, and here they are, along with a group of people from 
the people group in Chad, Africa, that they have been called to reach, the Begirmi people. And we know, because of Revelation 7, that there will be Begirmi people in that multitude of the heavenly host in, in, in heaven one day. And as, as new missionaries, Daniel and Nancy Wen, a missionary couple who have been sent from the Lutheran Brethren Church in Taiwan to Chad, that they too will be a part of God's mission of reaching unreached people groups in Chad who right now have not heard the gospel, but God is going to use Daniel and Nancy to know that, that there will be people in that people group as well that will be a part of that multitude of many nations in heaven. And guess what? You and I, we are also called to share the gospel with people from many different cultural backgrounds here in Brooklyn. I love this, this mural showing a picture of, of Brooklyn with a big slice of New York pizza right there. And, and, uh, but we have kids and, and people from a lot of different backgrounds. And right, we, we live in this city that's filled with different cultures and nationalities. And, and as we share the gospel through the mission that God's called us to do in our community, we can have confidence that God will use that witness to reach people from many different cultures to bring them into that same heavenly multitude. So we make disciples of all nations knowing with confidence that God is going to use our work here to accomplish that multitude, that vision we get in Revelation 7. Now the second aspect of our future that we see in this vision is that our future will be diverse and multicultural. It's important to notice that, that when John looks out at this huge crowd in heaven, he doesn't see a bunch of disembodied souls floating around. Right? He doesn't see, he also doesn't see just a mass of generic humans. No, he sees people from every nation. He sees people who speak every different language. He sees a crowd of people who are diverse and multicultural. And so our future in heaven, if we trust God's word in what God revealed to John in Revelation 7, is that our future will be diverse and multicultural as we worship our God together in heaven. We, we, we talked about Cornelius, the Roman centurion that we read about in Acts 12, in Acts 10. Guess what? Cornelius is going to be a part of that multitude, and he is going to be Roman. And we talked about Peter, this Jewish fisherman from Galilee who, who God brought together with Cornelius. And guess what? Peter's going to be there too, and he's going to be Jewish, and he's going to be Galilean. We talked about the Samaritan woman at the well. She's going to be there, and she's going to be Samaritan. And the Ethiopian eunuch that, that God sent Philip to minister to on the desert road, he's going to be there, and he's going to be Ethiopian. I'm going to be Norwegian-American. My wife, Rochelle, is going to be Filipino. And our kids are going to be Norwegian-Filipino-American in the new heaven and the new earth. And you will be Chinese or Indian or Puerto Rican or Italian or whatever cultural background you are. And if you have a lot of different 
ethnic and cultural backgrounds and your heritage, guess what? You're going to bring all of that cultural complexity with you into heaven too. That is the picture that we get of our future in Revelation 7. Now, we shouldn't be surprised at this. We shouldn't be surprised that, that God would want to bring our cultural and ethnic diversity into heaven with us because how did God begin this whole thing? Back in Genesis 1, he started it all off by telling the first humans, I want you guys to spread and fill the earth. And as they were to spread and fill the earth, they would encounter different environments that would lead to different cultures. And so as we saw in our first message, God always intended for humanity to be diverse and multicultural. And so it should not surprise us that when we see where God finally brings it all, that's exactly what we see in heaven. It is a group of diverse, multicultural people, a crowd of many nations and many languages worshiping God together. So what's the implication of this for our lives today? Well, the implication for today is that we should celebrate diversity and cultural uniqueness, not ignore or downplay it. Now, for some of you, you might kind of bristle at this idea. I mean, there can be a tendency for some Christians to adopt what is sometimes called a colorblind approach to thinking about race and ethnicity. And so you might even think to yourself, you know, I, I don't see race. I don't see ethnicity. I just see people as people. And, and sometimes this perspective can even appeal to Martin Luther King Jr.'s I have a dream speech, where he says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. But is, is Dr. King saying here that, that, that we should just pretend that race and ethnicity, that it doesn't exist, or that we should, we should? No. Dr. King isn't saying that ethnicity and culture are unimportant or irrelevant, He's saying that he doesn't want his kids to be judged by the color of their skin. And within the context of his whole speech, it's very clear that, that what he's talking about here is that he doesn't want his kids to be discriminated against based on the color of their skin. You see, in another speech, Dr. King said, we must stand up and say, I'm black, but I'm black and beautiful. Dr. King celebrated his black culture and heritage, which was particularly important in that context because in the South at the time, black people were treated as inferior. It was important for Dr. King to step up and say, no, being black is beautiful. We're not inferior. And so we are not called to be colorblind, to ignore or downplay people's culture or ethnicity. No, we are called to actively celebrate diversity, to celebrate every culture of every person in our midst. And to do that about our own culture and to also do it about the culture of our brothers and sisters and to make sure that we're not viewing any race or ethnicity as lesser or inferior to another. Now, maybe some of you might struggle with feelings of inferiority. 
about your ethnic or cultural background, maybe because of the way that people have treated you. And we have to be honest about that, that, that again, in our world, in our society, that there is racism, there is discrimination, that, that in our history and, and even today, that certain people are looked down upon and, and treated differently because of their race or ethnicity. And maybe you've felt that, and you've even sometimes wondered, man, man I wish that I was a different race or ethnicity. I want you to hear this very clearly. Know that God created you to be your particular cultural background and he rejoices in that background that you have. And that applies to every single one of us. That he loves that you are Chinese, that you are Indian, that you are Puerto Rican, that you are African American, that you are Norwegian, that you are Italian, that you are whatever mix of cultural backgrounds you might have. And he loves it so much that he wants to bring that part of you into eternity, into heaven. One of the things that I love about our congregation is how we seek to celebrate the different cultures that make up our diverse body. You know, back before COVID, when we were able to gather downstairs in our church basement for joint lunches after our worship service, we would try to have a good variety of different kinds of foods. We'd have some Chinese food. Sometimes we'd have some Norwegian open-faced sandwiches, and sometimes we'd have some Italian pastas, and, and of course, we'd have some good old American hot dogs, too. And when we're able to gather together again, to eat together in our basement, man, what if we added some Indian curries or some Puerto Rican dishes or some other foods from other cultural backgrounds as well? You see, we don't want to be colorblind. We want to celebrate the diversity and the various cultures that make up our body. Enjoying and appreciating each other's foods is one way to do that. What would it look like for our church to continue to grow in celebrating the many cultures in our congregation and in our city, and even cultures that are not yet represented in our congregation, but that are in our city? What if we tried to do that even more so in the songs that we sing when we gather to worship? Or the preachers? that we listen to, or the cultural perspectives that, that we highlight. What might that look like in your personal life? What would that look like in, in, in the books that you read, or the movies that you watch, or the friends that you have? You know, recently, I've been trying to be more intentional about reading books and listening to sermons from a greater diversity of authors and preachers so that I'm hearing perspectives and experiences of people who are different from me. I need to hear that. How might God be calling you to do that in your life? The third and final aspect of our future that we see in this passage is that our future will be united in Christ alone. Although this multitude is made up from people from so many different cultural and national backgrounds, they are united. And what is it that unifies them? 
The end of verse 9 and, and verse 10 says they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There are three things highlighted in this description of this group that, that unite them. And all three of those aspects point to the fact that what unites them is that they're united in Jesus Christ. The first thing is, they're all wearing the same thing. They're wearing white robes. Now, what's that all about? What, is, what does this white robe symbolize? Well, later on in verse 15, we're told, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so what this, this image is, is pointing to is that everyone in this diverse multicultural crowd is there in heaven for only one reason, because their sins have been washed clean through Jesus' death on the cross for them. Jesus, the Lamb of God, spilled his blood in order to make us clean. And so no one can enter heaven dressed in our own robes because our robes are dirty. Our robes are filled with sin and, and brokenness and, and our only hope is to be clothed with Christ's righteousness, to be washed. None of us deserves to be in God's presence and so our only hope is to be given new robes that will allow us to be in the presence of God. And that's the first unifying factor. The second one is that they're all holding something in their hands. Palm branches. Sound familiar? What's, to, what's next week? Palm Sunday. Right? These palm branches remind us of that triumphal entry where Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and, and people were waving palm branches to welcome him as their king, shouting, Hosanna, save us. Now the people in Jerusalem... They were hoping that Jesus was going to come and be a king that was going to overthrow the Romans and set up an earthly kingdom. And Jesus wasn't interested in doing any of that. He was coming to save all of humanity. And, and so this group of people in Revelation, they're waving the palm branches because they know that Jesus is king, that he has accomplished that salvation that he rode into Jerusalem to begin. And they are waving the palm branches because Jesus is king over heaven and earth. And what are they doing together? They're worshiping together. That is what unites them. They're washed in the blood of the Lamb. They're worshiping God together. And the last thing you see here is that they are all saying something together. In a loud voice, they cry out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They are proclaiming that Salvation comes from only one place, from God himself and through the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so that is the only reason that they are all there, that we will be there, is if we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. If we call out, yes, salvation belongs to you, Jesus and they are united together in proclaiming that with one voice. So what's the implication of that for our lives today? If, we, if our future will be that we will, we will be united in Christ alone, what does that mean for our day-to-day -day lives today? The implication for today is that we look for opportunities to be 
united with Christians who are different from us. That we look for opportunities to express the unity that we will have in heaven while we're here on earth. This is exactly what Jesus prayed for the church that we heard about earlier that that Margaret read for us in John chapter 7. What did Jesus pray? What was his prayer for his disciples and for us? He says that, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. Jesus wants us to be unified as the body. So how are we doing at that? I'm afraid to say, when you look at the church, we're not doing so great at that always. Christians are divided in so many ways. Through theological differences, denominational differences, through worship preferences, arguing over how we should worship and political differences. And sadly, some of those divisions are also based on race or ethnicity. If our future is going to be one multitude, all united in Jesus Christ, despite our many differences, how can we be so divided here on earth? The first step towards unity with Christians who are different from us, is to confess and repent of the ways that we have elevated those differences above our common identity in Jesus Christ. There will be differences. We will have, we are, we are diverse, right? We will have differences. But will we elevate those differences above our common unity in Christ? Last Sunday, Pastor Brandon spoke about how the church in Antioch was willing to bear a cost to minister to the needs of their brothers and sisters in the church in Jerusalem. They put the needs of those brothers and sisters above their own needs. And Brandon, at the end of his message last Sunday, challenged us to think about the ways that God might be calling us to do something similar in relationship to our Asian and Asian-American neighbors, given the rise of anti-Asian harassment and violence in our society. And he said, how can we think beyond just our own interests, our own comfort, to actively and costly ways try to support and love those in our midst who are feeling hurt, right? Well, little did he know what was going to happen this week. Just two days later, A gunman would would, would target three Asian spas in Atlanta, killing eight people with six of those eight being women of Asian descent. And, you know, earlier this week, I was was listening to a panel discussion of four Christian leaders in our city. Three of them were Asian. One of them was black. And, And on this panel, they were talking about the deep pain in the Asian and Asian American community over these murders and over the rise of of anti-Asian harassment and violence. You know, I was on Facebook this week, and and I have a lot of friends from college and from seminary and from different parts of my life, and a lot of, many of them are Asian American, and, and friend after friend after friend began sharing their experiences of great pain 
of ways that they've been harassed, ways that they've experienced discrimination, and their brokenness over what had happened in Atlanta this week. I know some of you don't feel that, but many in our Asian and Asian American community do feel that. Someone shared with me that, that her Asian neighbor of, of 30 years had told her that, that she felt scared and alone because of these murders, and that, that she was worrying about the safety of her mother and her cousins and her aunts, that she saw her family members in, in these victims. Brothers and sisters, right now, there is a perfect opportunity for those of us who are not Asian to bear a cost for the sake of our Asian brothers and sisters. That this is a chance for us to say, I am going to put my common identity in Jesus that I have with my Asian brothers and sisters in Christ above my political opinion and above my, my opinions about the media, and above how other people might see me if I speak out about this on behalf of my Asian brothers and sisters. To, to, it's okay for us to disagree about politics. It's okay for us to disagree about, but can we put those things aside for the sake of loving people who are hurting right now? It's more important to stand in solidarity and offer support to our Asian brothers and sisters who may be hurting right now than it is to complain about some of those other things in this moment. And so can we be like the church in Antioch and put the needs of those who are hurting above our own need to be right or our own comfort? And the same thing applies to our posture towards other people who are different from us. It applies to our black brothers and sisters in Christ. I was listening to a sermon this past week from a black preacher in Chicago who was talking about the division between black churches and predominantly white churches. And you could hear pain in his voice as he talked about the ways that white Christians had dismissed the experiences of racism that he and other members of his congregation had, had shared about. That, that the response that he got from, from white brothers and sisters was not to say, I'm so sorry that's happened to you. How can I pray for you in that? But it was to say, did that really happen? Maybe you're over-exaggerating that. Are those of us who are not black willing to listen and believe the experiences of our black brothers and sisters, and to bear a cost and stand in unity with them when they are hurting? Or will we dismiss their concerns out of self-protection and defensiveness? As I said before, the first step towards unity with Christians who are different from us is to confess and repent of the ways that we've elevated those differences above our common identity in Christ. But here's the good news <laughs> that I want to end with. That when we do that, when we stop trying to defend or justify ourselves, and when we confess our self-centered attitudes and our dismissive and judgmental responses, our lack of listening, our lack of empathy and compassion, 
when we confess that we have dirty robes, our Savior Jesus Christ comes to us and he clothes us again with a white robe that has been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And then we can stand up shoulder to shoulder with those fellow believers who we may disagree with, who we may not fully understand, but we can stand with them knowing that they too are sinners, but they too have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And together, we can wave those palm branches and proclaim together, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And we can fall on our faces before him proclaiming praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we do not love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Forgive us for the ways that we put our own comfort and our own opinions above showing love and empathy and compassion to brothers and sisters who are different from us. Forgive us, Lord. Wash us clean. Open our eyes to see the ways that we may put our own preferences and our own perspectives above being unified with brothers and sisters who we're different from. And we thank you that you do. You wash us. You clean us. You forgive us. And that we who are sinners and broken and who fail in different ways, Lord, that, that what unites us is the fact that we're all forgiven. That you paid for our, our, our sin in full, Jesus, on the cross. And that we together would call out salvation belongs to our God. For you have saved us. And that we would be united as one body, Lord, even in our differences, as a foretaste of what we will experience for all eternity the future you have prepared for us in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.